Ezekiel chapter 19. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter, verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to take our time to break it down. It says, And you take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What was your mother? A lioness. Among lions she crouched. In the midst of young lions she, she reared her cubs. And she brought up one of her cubs. He became a young lion. And he learned to catch prey. He devoured men. The nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit. And they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. When she saw that she waited in vain, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion and provided, and, and sorry, he prowled among the lions. He became a young lion and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men and he seized their widows. He laid waste their cities and the land was appalled and all who were in it at the sound of his roaring. Then the nations set against him from provinces on every side. They spread their net over him and he was taken in their pit. With hooks they put him in a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into custody that his voice should no more be heard on the mountains of Israel. Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches by reason of abundant water. Its strong stems became rulers, scepters. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches, but the vine was plucked up in, a, in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land, and fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots. It has consumed its fruit, so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. Now, if we were to just read this all by itself, we'd, most of us probably would just move on to the next chapter. But I want to take you tonight and show you there's a lot here. And this is a great opportunity to teach you, though, a couple of more things along the lines of what I've been trying to teach you all along. Does the Bible use symbolic language? Yes, it does. And as I've taught you, most of the time, whenever it uses symbolic language, it, it right away afterwards will tell you what it symbolizes. Like in Revelation chapter 1, John turns and he sees Jesus standing there, and he's standing among seven golden lampstands, and he has seven stars in his hand. And then chapter 1, verse 20 following says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The, the stars are the messengers. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. Of course, a symbolic picture there. But the very next verse says, by this he meant the Holy Spirit, which those who believed in him were later to receive. All the way through the scripture, the Bible, when it uses symbolic language, will most of the time tell you immediately what it represents. In Zechariah chapter 5, verse 5, Zechariah sees a woman in a basket, and the basket is iniquity in all the land, and the woman represents in, uh, wickedness, because the scripture tells you what it represents. But there are other times that the Bible used symbolic language, and in that context, it doesn't tell you right away what it means. This is not one of those times, though, when we are to try to all figure out what we think it means or what we think it represents. Do you all hopefully see the danger in people getting to determine what they think it means and what they think it represents? But what I've also found, and I want to show you from Scripture, is that whenever God does something like this, He's already given to us ahead of time in the Scriptures everything we need to understand what He's just said here. He doesn't use cryptic language that can never be understood. That everything you need to interpret this correctly, to know exactly what this is talking about, has been already shown us. And that's what I'm going to do tonight and show you all this that we just read about will make a ton of sense if we had actually known 
most of what had happened prior to this. All right? So this lament is for the princes or the kings of Israel, namely two of them. They're for Jehoahaz and Jehoiachin. If you want to write that down, it's going to be important for later on. Jehoiachin, it's Jehoahaz and Jehoiachin are the two are the two kings that it's referring to. The first one is Jehoahaz, and the second one is Jehoiachin. Israel, the nation of Israel, is the lioness, and her cubs, as we're going to see, are her kings. The young lions that it refers to, how she reared her, is in verse, uh, verse uh, 2 there. Uh, what was your mother? She was a lioness. Among the lions she crouched. In the midst of young lions she reared her cubs. Those in the midst of young lions talk about the kings in the area around. Again, I'm going to explain all this to you and show you from Scripture. But I need to lay the foundation so that we can put the pieces together for the puzzle. So the first cub of the lioness we're going to look at here in verses 3 and 4 is Jehoahaz. It says, and she, this is Israel, brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men. The nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. So this young cub becomes a young lion, but not long after that, he's taken to Egypt. This is Jehoahaz. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 23. Let me take you back to the history of Israel. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 35. In 2 Kings 23, starting in verse 31, it says, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. How long was he king? Three months. Keep that in mind. That's very important for later on in correct interpretation. He, was, he reigned for three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt, and he died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Necho. So let me kind of make sure we're all on the same page here. After Josiah, remember Josiah was the young king who became a great king and he went and destroyed all the altars and the Baal worship and all that and he brought the law back to the nation of Israel. It was a great time when Josiah was king. But after Josiah was king, his son Jehoahaz became king, but he only reigned for three months. He was so wicked during those three months, God said, that's enough. And he was taken captive to where? To Egypt. You remember from our lament in chapter 19 of Ezekiel, he was taken to Egypt. And here we see that Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt. Oh, when Pharaoh Necho took him captive and he died there in Egypt, when Pharaoh Necho took him to Egypt, he then put Eliakim, which is Jehoahaz's son, in charge as the next king. But he changed his name to Jehoiakim. That's important. So you have Jehoahaz taken to Egypt. Jehoiakim now becomes the king in Israel. And he's going to reign for about 11 years before he comes to his end. All right. And during that time, Israelites had to pay a lot of taxes 
to Egypt. All right? Go to 2 Chronicles real quick. You're in 2 Kings. Just jump over to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And let's look again at the, the account in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, just verses 1 through 4 of Jehoahaz. I'm going to teach you. It's very important as you're going to build your correct understanding of Scripture using the whole of Scripture to look at pretty much every account you can find that deals with these issues so that you can get a proper understanding because you're going to see tonight in a little bit how important that is. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, look at verses 1 through 4. It says, The people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Then the king of Egypt deposed him in Jerusalem and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And the king of Egypt made Eliakim, his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him to Egypt. All right. So what happens to Jehoahaz? Only three months after he became king, he's taken to Egypt. And we just read about that in the lament for that king in chapter 19. Now, after him comes Jehoiakim, and he reigns for about 11 years. We'll come back to him in a little bit. After Jehoiakim came another one called Jehoiachin, and I want you to see that. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 19. We'll see the lament now goes on. Now, interestingly enough, in our lament, they don't lament for, for Jehoiakim, the next lament is for Jehoiachin. Okay, you got Jehoahaz taken to Egypt. Jehoiakim reigns for 11 years. There's no lament for him. Then the next lament is for Jehoiachin. Look at verses 5 through 9. When she, this is the lioness, Israel, saw that she waited in vain. What's she waiting for? Remember, her cub had been taken to Egypt. By the way, what did the Bible say happened to him in Egypt? He died there, so he never came back. So when she saw that she waited in vain, her, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He prowled among the lions, and he became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men and seized their widows. He laid waste their cities, and the land was appalled at all who were in it at the sound of his roaring. Then the nations set against him from the provinces on every side. They spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit with hooks. They put him in a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into custody that his voice should no more be heard on the mountains of Israel. So this cub now becomes a young lion. But then he's taken where? To Babylon. All right. That's important. Because, well, let's look at the account. Go back to 2 Kings chapter 24. In 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 8 through 17, it says, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. How long did he reign? That's interesting. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important later on. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, now come up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. 
He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 10,000, sorry, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and he changed his name to Zedekiah. All right. Now, if you remember at the beginning of our study of Ezekiel, when this happened was 597 BC, when Jehoiachin was taken captive to Babylon, and he took 10,000 and others. Remember, who else was taken captive at this time? His family. His family, but I think his name's Ezekiel. Remember, That's, this is when Ezekiel was taken captive and his wife and all that. And they're taken captive to Babylon. All right. Now, for the sake of time, uh, actually, if we do it fast, we can do it. Jump over to 2 Chronicles 36 and look at verses 9 and 10. I want you to look at the chronicle account of this as well. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 9 and 10. It says, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned three months and 10 days in Jerusalem. And that's why by reading this, we get a few, little bit more information. He reigned three months and 10 days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the spring of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the precious vessels of the house of the Lord. And he made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. So was Zedekiah now his uncle or his brother? It's his uncle, but the Bible term brother, as you know, you all have been to church, haven't you? You walk down the hall and you see some people and you say, hey, Brother, hey, sister, right? It's a reference to the fact that they're family. And this is what this word means here. In the, in the actual translation in the Hebrew, it means he's their family. But it was Zedekiah was Jehoiachin's uncle who became king under the Babylonian rulership. Now, so we've got two laments so far in Ezekiel 19. The first lament, the lament for the princes of the kings of Israel. The first lament is for Jehoahaz, who was taken to Egypt. The second one is for Jehoiachin, who was taken to Babylon. But there was a king in between, wasn't there? What was his name? Jehoiakim. Why is there no lament for Jehoiakim? Well, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to wrestle with a question. How do we know that this second lament is actually for Jehoiachin and not Jehoiakim? Because he's the one that comes next after Jehoiahaz was taken to, to, uh, to Egypt. The first cup is obviously Jehoiahaz since he went to Egypt, but Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon too, or was he? Now let's go back and take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. You, you should be still there. Look at verses 5 through 8. It says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessel of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put, him, put them in his palace in Babylon. And now he, now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations that he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. So it reads like Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon too, right? So how are we going to know that 
The second lament is for Jehoiachin and not for Jehoiakim, because it sure reads like Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon as well. This is why we're going to be doing what we're doing tonight. I could convince you that Jehoiakim had been taken to Babylon too, but he didn't. You say, wait a minute, Jim, doesn't it say that he was taken to Babylon? No, read closely, and then we're going to let the rest of the Scripture show us what really happens to Jehoiakim. What does the Scripture say there in 2 Chronicles 36? Don't interpret it and think what it means. What does it actually say? He was bound in chains to be taken to Babylon. Does it say he was ever taken to Babylon? No, it just simply says that he was bound in chains to be taken to Babylon. So let's do a little study then. Let's look at the scriptures to find out what we can learn more about this Jehoiakim guy. Now, in order to do that, we need to go to Jeremiah 22. Like I've told you before, and I'm going to say over and over and over till we finish this study in Ezekiel, or Jesus gets us first, whichever happens first. You can't do a study of Ezekiel without studying Jeremiah, because they were both prophesying at the same time to the same groups of people. One was in Jerusalem, one was in Babylon, but their ministries overlapped quite a bit. And in Jeremiah 22, you're going to see... That God, through Jeremiah, while he's prophesying in Jerusalem, Ezekiel's prophesying in Babylon, he says a very similar thing now through Jeremiah to the people of Israel in Jerusalem. Listen to chapter 22, starting in verses 11 through 30. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. By the way, Shalom is a nickname for Jehoahaz. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, and who went away from this place, he shall return here no more. But in the place where they have carried him captive, there he shall die. Where did they take him captive? Egypt. Very good. He shall never see this land again. Woe to him he build, who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I'll build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you're a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. So here we see this prophecy about Jehoahaz, how he's going to be taken off and he'll never come back to the land. We know from Ezekiel and from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles that he was taken to Egypt, never to come back. Now, verses um, 18 through 23 are going to talk about Jehoiakim. Look closely at what it says about Jehoiakim. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, they shall not lament for him saying, Ah, my brother, or Ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or Ah, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon, cry out, and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Abarim, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth, that you have not obeyed my voice. The wind shall shepherd all your shepherds, and your lovers shall go out into captivity. And then you'll be ashamed and confounded because of all your evil, O inhabitant of Lebanon, nested among the cedars. How you will be pitied when pangs come upon you, pain as a woman in labor, of a woman in labor. So... Here we see that God through Jeremiah says there will be no lament for Jehoiakim 
So can the lament in Ezekiel 19 be for Jehoiakim? No, he says clearly there'll be no lament for Jehoiakim. And on top of that, what does the prophecy say is how he's going to die? He's going to be treated like a donkey. When a donkey dies, what do they do? They just throw it off to the side of the road and let it just rot. And you're going to see that's exactly what happened to Jehoiakim. Now, go to Jeremiah 36. Let me show you what's going on. Now, as you turn into Jeremiah 36, I'm going to kind of set the stage for you to get you up to speed. We're going to start in verse 27. Jeremiah 36, starting in verse 27. Um, as you know, Jeremiah has been prophesying a lot to the people in Jerusalem. And by the way, if you don't know this, they're not loving it. And they've been beating him up. They've been throwing him into jail. They've been treating him badly. And so what he does is he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. He tells his servant, Baruch, who's the guy that writes down everything he says. He says, Baruch, I'm going to dictate to you the prophecy from God this time. And I want you to write it down. And you have to go read it to the people. All right? Because they're treating me kind of bad here. So, so Baruch writes it all down and goes and reads it to the leaders of Israel. They literally actually get scared and they fear God. And they say, we need to bring this to the king. Jehoiakim is king at this time. They say, we need to bring this and read this to the king. So they come and they bring it and they read it before the king. But the king's response, as you're about to see, is not that he's afraid of God. He actually ignores it. And as you're about to see, as they're reading it, he keeps taking the pages after they read and he cuts them up and he throws them into the fire that's there in front of him. The word of God that had been given and written down and read to them well, chapter 36, look at verse 27. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, He shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. Did you catch that? And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. In other words, this new scroll had what he had said before and some more stuff now because of the fact that Jehoiakim rejected it. But look at the prophecy. Jehoiakim, because you didn't obey the word of God and not only that, you burned the scroll in the fire when it was read to you. Your body's going to be laid out on the street and it's just going to rot in the heat of the day and the frost at night. So did Jehoiakim ever make it to Babylon? Second Chronicles said that they had taken him captive and put him in chains to take him to Babylon, but he never made it to Babylon. Most likely died in the process, and they just dumped his body on the side of the road, and he was given up donkey's burial. Do you see how important it is to let the whole of Scripture speak to you? Therefore, the lament in Ezekiel 19 for the next young cub can't be for Jehoiakim, has to be for Jehoiachin, because Jehoiachin was taken to Egypt. Oh, and they also said there'll be no lament for Jehoiakim. 
But there's also one other thing. Go back to Ezekiel 19. In Ezekiel 19, look at verses 3 and 5. And she brought up one of her cubs, and he became a what? Okay, young is a better translation than strong. And he became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. Look at verse 5. When she saw that she waited in vain for the one that was taken to Egypt, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion, and he prowled among the lions, and he became a young lion. How long were the reigns of Jehoahaz? And Jehoiachin, they only lasted about three months. They never became big lions. They became young lions, and not long after they became young lions, they were taken off, one to Egypt, one to Babylon. It's all right there. But before we can go a whole lot further, I, we have to go back to Jeremiah chapter 22. Because I never read to Jeremiah what Jeremiah said or God said through Jeremiah about Jehoiachin. <clears throat> We've just seen in chapter 22 that God said about Jehoiakim that none of his descendants will ever sit on the throne of David. Keep that in mind. And go to Jeremiah 22 and look at verses 24 through 30. As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, this is another name for Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. If he were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you, of whom you're afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they long, will long to return, there they shall not return." Is this man Kaniah a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. We have seen now that Jehoiakim has been told, none of your offspring will ever sit on the throne of David. And Jehoiachin has now been told the same thing. None of your offspring will ever sit on the throne of David. That's important for where we're going to go later on. All right, let's go back now to Ezekiel chapter 19. At the beginning of this lament, the nation of Israel was described as a lioness. And she reared one of her cubs. And he was a young cub and a young lion. He became king, but he only lasted three months and was taken to Egypt. Then there was another one when she realized this cub wasn't coming back. She reared another one, and he became a young lion, didn't make it very far. Only three months into his reign, he was taken to Babylon. But then in verses 10 through 14, the word picture changes from Israel being a lioness now to Israel being a vine in a vineyard. It says, your mother was like a vine in a vineyard, planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches, by reason of abundant water, and its strong stems became rulers' scepters. In other words, now the picture, instead of young lions, their sept rulers, their stems become rulers. The, the stems become kings. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. I'm sorry, thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches, but the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. 
Now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land, and the fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots. It has consumed its fruit so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. So now the word picture switches from Israel becoming being a lioness who gives birth to cubs who become kings to now Israel is a vine in a vineyard and the vineyard, the vine is just plucked up and burnt and its strong stems that were rulers and leaders in the land, there are no more. There are no more. Now, we're not going to take the time to get into the word picture again of how Israel is the vine. We've already done that whole study, and if you're curious about it and you don't know what I'm talking about or you missed that week, go back on the website to Ezekiel chapter 17. The study of Ezekiel 17, we spent a lot of time breaking it down throughout the scriptures, how God describes Israel as a vine and a vineyard and all that. We did that whole study. But now, without a close look, you might have missed it, but there's a subtle reference here in the verses I just read to you to the final king that reigned in Israel, the rule of Zedekiah. Remember how Zedekiah was put in charge after Jehoiachin was taken to Babylon. His uncle Zedekiah was put in charge. There's a reference here in verse 12 to Zedekiah. Look at verse 12 again. But the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, as for the king that was the king at that time, fire consumed it. Now it's planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land, and fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots, has consumed its fruit, so that remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. That's going to be a really fun study in just a little bit. But when it talks about how the, the strong stem or the king that existed at the end, how fire consumed it, it's a reference to what happened to Zedekiah. Come with me back to Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38, look at verses 17 through 23. Jeremiah 38, verse 17, Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you'll surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and the city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said, You shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord and what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the vision which the Lord has shown to me. Behold, all the women left in the house of the king of Judah were being led out to the officials of the king of Babylon, and they were saying, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, they turn away from you. All your wives and your sons shall be led out to the Chaldeans, and you yourselves shall not escape from their hand. But this city shall be, sorry, this, but shall be seized by the king of Babylon, and this city shall be burned with fire. Now, if you remember, we looked at this earlier, how Zedekiah was the king, and God was telling Zedekiah through Jeremiah, look, if you'll just submit yourself to the king of Babylon, you get to stay in Jerusalem and things will go okay with you. But if you rebel against the king of Babylon, he's just going to take you out of here and he's going to burn the city with fire. Now, if you remember, what did Zedekiah do? Didn't listen to God and he rebelled against the king. Go to 2 Chronicles 36. 
Second Chronicles 36, 11, verses 11 through 21. It says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as God. He didn't humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the mouth, from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by his God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people, likewise, were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations they had polluted the house of, and they had polluted the house of the Lord that He had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord God of their fathers sent persistently to them by His messengers, because He had compassion on His people and His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans and who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin or old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, than the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon." And they burned the house of God and broke down all the walls of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days that it lay desolate. It kept Sabbaths to fulfill 70 years." So over and over and over, we see that God kept telling Zedekiah, if you'll listen to me and just submit yourself, submit yourself to the discipline that I'm doing right now. I'm chastising you, and you're under a discipline because of your disobedience, but if you'll just submit yourself to my discipline, it'll be well with you. But if you rebel against it, the city will be burned with fire. And what happened to Jerusalem because of Zedekiah's rebellion? Because of that strong stem, fire consumed the whole city of Jerusalem, and it was burnt to the ground. Now, we saw at the end of Ezekiel 19, though, something else. And this is where the study gets really fun. Sad at the beginning, but exciting at the end. It says, verse 13, Now the vineyard is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. That's where it was in, in, in Babylon and scattered all around. And fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots and has consumed its fruit. So there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. In other words, what he said was, what remains in Israel now is no ruler, no king. Now, I don't know if many of you know this or not, but Zedekiah was the last king to ever rule in Israel and in Jerusalem. There has never been another king to come and rule in Israel and in Jerusalem since Zedekiah. It's been over 2,600 years since there has been a king ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. Zedekiah was the last one. Now, if you remember, after their time in Babylon, when, under the rule of the Persians who had conquered the Babylonians, he, the king of Persia allowed some of them to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and all that stuff during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, but there was never another king. There were governors and leaders there was never another king. And if you study the history of Israel, even though they were back in the land, they were always under somebody else's control. They were under the Greeks. They were under the Romans. When Jesus comes on the scene, even though Jerusalem is a bustling city and there's a temple there and the walls are back up, who's in charge? Herod and Romans are in control. 
There has not been a king in Jerusalem ruling and reigning on David's throne for over 2,600 years. Do you remember how at the end of the lament it says, but there remains no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. And don't miss this. The prophecies in Jeremiah said that the curse was on Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin so that none of their descendants could ever sit on the throne of David being king. This is important, folks. I'm not going to take the time to walk you through the genealogies, but this is why the book of Matthew and the book of Luke give us the genealogies of Jesus through Joseph and through Mary. You see, if you do a study of the genealogy of Joseph, you'll see that Joseph was of the lineage of David, but he comes through Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. And the curse said, No descendant of Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin will ever sit on the throne. So Joseph wasn't able to pass that lineage to Jesus because of the curse. But if you study, you'll also find that Mary was also of the lineage of David. And she came through a different branch from David. And she doesn't follow the line of Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin, which is further evidence of the fact that Joseph was not Jesus' father. Joseph's mother was Mary, and who was Jesus? Sorry, Jesus' mother was Mary. Who was Jesus' father? The Holy Spirit, God. And so, even though there was a curse on Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin's lineage, the lineage comes through Mary, not through Joseph, but through Mary. And Jesus is able to sit on the throne of David because he's not under that curse, as Joseph had nothing to do with him being born. Do you see it? Every little detail, folks, in the scriptures is all there if you take the time. It's a fun study. I don't have time to walk you through it, but it's available. You can go online and look it all up, and you can see how Jesus comes through Mary. And because of Mary, he is able to be the ruler who sits on the throne. You know, this past Sunday, we just celebrated Palm Sunday. It'll be helpful for us to be reminded that Israel has had no king, and David's line, like I said, don't sit on his throne for over 2,600 years But Jesus, the descendant of David, the promised king, did come to Jerusalem, didn't he? He came to Jerusalem, and they rejected him. So I want to walk us through that a little bit in the time we have tonight to show you what happened when the king did show up, the promised one did arrive, and what happened, and what's still going to come according to the prophecies. Go to Luke chapter 19. Some of you are saying, the New Testament, good. Well, unfortunately, this is kind of a sad place. Luke 19, look at verses 28 through 44. In Luke 19, verse 28, when they, Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. By the way, if there's a donkey that's never had anybody sit on it, what's, gonna, what's that donkey going to do the first time someone sits on it? But this one doesn't. It says, Go into the village in front of you where until you find a colt tied in which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord is need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying this colt? And they said, the Lord is need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is who? 
The king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Folks, does that sound familiar? Haven't we been studying in the book of Ezekiel how because of their rejection of God and his prophets and his word that they were surrounded, destroyed, burnt to the ground? But he lets them come back into the land. And he lets them get rebuilt. They don't have any more kings yet. There's no king sitting on David's throne. But they're still at least to have their practices and their temple and their worship and their following God. And then the king himself, the one that was prophesied, shows up just on the day that the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, literally says. If you go back and do that study, you'll find it says in the Hebrew, at a certain day, Messiah comes. And on that day, he rode into Jerusalem on the literal day that the prophecy said the Messiah would come. But they rejected him. Now, I have to go somewhere with this because it's something we need to pay close attention to in the days we live in. As you're about to see, also as we've read, Jesus, even though they're all praising him and saying, hey, the king, the king, the king, he weeps. Why is he weeping when everybody else is praising? He knows that they're really, their hearts aren't in it. You know why? They got no problem calling him king as long as he is the kind of king they're expecting him to be in the next few days. But in that week between when he rode in and when they actually crucified him, he didn't take over Rome. He was meek and mild and he would go every night back to Bethany and He wouldn't do the stuff that they're expecting him to do. And listen to me. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Many will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons? And I'll say to them, I never knew you. Folks, our churches today are full of people who will say, Jesus is my Lord. But God knows that they're believing in a Lord that they have created. A Jesus they've made him out to be, not who he really is, according to the scriptures. And one day he'll separate those who are and those who aren't. But I can show you all across this country, actually even churches who will say that Jesus I believe in says that this is okay and it's not sin. Even though the Bible says it's sin. But the Jesus I believe in, my Lord forgives and just ignores that. And he's okay with it. He's a God of love. And they have called him Lord. But it's the Lord they've created him to be. And one day they're going to find out he's not who they thought he was. And he's going to say, no, the real me's shown up. And even though you're calling me Lord, I know differently because you won't let me call the shots in your life. Please don't be one of those people. Who say, well, I believe in him, but I'm not going to believe that part. Well, that means you've made him to be what you want him to be, not who he really is. By the way, when they laid their coats on the ground, they knew what they were doing. Go to 2 Kings real quick, chapter 9. I love this story. 2 Kings chapter 9. 
Look at verses 1 through 13. It says, when Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Don't linger. I love it. You're going to see him amongst his buddies. Pull him away from his buddies, take him in an inner chamber. You're going to pour this oil on his head and you're going to say, thus says the Lord, you're the next king of Israel. And then bust Fanny, get out and just run, just run. All right. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, to which of us all? And he said, to you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house, and the young man poured oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. And then, by the way, as you read on, he goes into a very specific detailed prophecy, which is obviously coming out of his mouth at the time that he didn't even know was going to happen as God spoke through him. He says, Oh, and you're going to strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I'll cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. I'll make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and he fled. By the way, when you read that, who was talking? Was it the servant talking or was God talking? Yeah, he, he did what he was told to do. He said, thus says the Lord, you're the next king of Israel. And then all of a sudden, the voice changes. It's God who starts prophesying and speaking through this guy. And God saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. It wasn't the guy talking anymore. But when the prophecy was done, he ran. Verse 11, when Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, is all well? Is, there, is everything all right? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, well, you know the fellow and his, his talk. And they said, that's not true. Tell us now. And he said, thus and so he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So when the people were laying their coats down, for Jesus, what were they saying? He's king. They were literally saying, blessed is the king. Here comes the king. Here's the king. They were acknowledging that he was king. But they changed their minds. Oh, by the way, Zechariah 9, 9, if you go back and look at it, Zechariah 9, 9 says, so behold, Israel, your Zion, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But within a week, they've changed their minds. Go to John chapter 18. And watch what happens. John chapter 18, verses 28 and following. John 18, starting in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves didn't enter the governor's headquarters so they wouldn't be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Isn't that interesting? What are your accusations? Well, if he weren't evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. You notice how they're vague? I've had a few kids answer a few times when you ask them questions like that. What are you talking about? Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. 
the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. By the way, if the Jews put him to death, how would they have put him to death according to the scriptures? Would have been stoning. Who are the only ones that are crucifying at this time? The Romans. Oh, and remember, the Bible says that Jesus talked about how he was going to die as the son, the son of Man will be lifted up, and he'll draw all men to himself. And he was picturing crucifixion. So Pilate entered his headquarters, and again, he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says the same thing we're saying today. What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. By the way, Pilate is not wanting to put Jesus to death. And some of you may not know this, some of you may, but his own wife had come to him in one of the other gospel accounts and tells him, Look, I had a dream last night about this guy. Have nothing to do with him. Pilate's trying to let him go. I don't find any guilt. I tell you what, why don't I give him back to you and, and do the custom that we do at the Passover? No, give us Barabbas instead. So then he decides, well, if I can have him mocked and beaten, maybe that'll appease them. So he takes him in. They dress him in a robe, put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They mock him. They spit on him. And they bring him all back out bloody. And he's thinking, maybe they'll let him go now. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, though he who delivered, you, delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, I got to tell you what's going on here because most people don't know this. Because when we read the scriptures, Pilate looks like he's a wishy-washy kind of a guy, afraid to do what's right. But listen, if you study history, you'll find out that Pilate was a cruel ruler. 
Actually, when previous rulers in Jerusalem would come in, because the Jews did not want to have a graven image, you know God had said no graven images, when the Romans would march in on their flagpoles and on their staffs, would have these graven images of birds or different things on them. And the Jews said, would you please take those off? And prior leaders would remove them to respect the Jews' beliefs about this as they had their parades in Jerusalem. When Pilate became ruler, he put them back on. And he treated people very badly. If you go back and look earlier in Scripture, you'll see about these people whom Pilate had mixed with their blood, with their sacrifices and stuff. Pilate was a very bad, hard leader, treated the Jews badly. So badly, they had actually gone over his head to Caesar and complained. Caesar calls him up and says, dude, if you can't handle those people, you're going to lose your authority there. If I can't trust you to take care of this little area here of these Jews, if you can't handle them, you're going to lose your job. So now they want him to have him crucified because they can't put him to death. They don't have authority to do that because they're not in full power. The Romans are. And they said, if you don't do this, you're no friend of Caesar. Did you catch the little hint there? We've gone over your head before. We'll go tell him again. And when that he hears that, look at his reaction. Verse uh, 14, now it was the day, sorry, back up to verse uh, 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. You know, he's asking him, are you a king? Are you a king? Are you a king? Jesus says, yeah. But when he presents him out, he says, behold the man. In other words, maybe he'll relax. I'm not saying he's your king. I'm just, he's a man. Just take him. They're like, no, you need to put him to death. And if you don't, we're going to tell Caesar. So then you can see his attitude change and he mocks him. He says, behold your king. Shall I crucify your king? You can see that attitude that Pilate had. And they said, what? We have no king, but who? These are the religious leaders saying, we have no king over us, but Caesar. Now, in the four minutes that we have left, I want to take you back to Zechariah chapter 9 and Micah chapter 5 and Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to go fast because the Bible shows us that, that this king that came Many people have said, if the Jews had only accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the millennial kingdom would have started right then and everything would have been great. No, 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 no. He had to die. If they had just said, you're the Messiah, you're the king, and he went and he set up this kingdom on the earth right then, what position would we be in right now? We'd be in bad shape. We'd still be in our sin because there had to be a sin sacrifice for our sin. No one would have died for our sin. No sinless sacrifice would have been made. We'd be, we'd be lost. He had to die. He had to come and bring salvation. The scripture all along had said that he was going to come, the suffering servant, this branch of David, this one that was going to come. He's going to one day rule and reign, but he had to first come and be the sacrifice for sin. He was bruised for our transgression. He was beaten for our iniquities. You know the scripture in Isaiah 53 is very clear. But when he comes again, folks, he's coming back this time as the king. In Zechariah chapter 9, listen to verses uh, 9 and 10. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what's that telling us about the first time he comes? He's coming to be the ruling king? No, he's coming to be the humble king to bring salvation. But verse 10, I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Has that happened yet? No, but this king that came the first time riding on a donkey, gentle and humble, when he comes back the second time, He's going to come powerfully and he's going to put an end to all war. And he himself is going to speak peace to the nations and his rule is going to be over the whole earth. Go to Micah chapter 5. Again, we love to quote Micah chapter 5 at Christmas time. But let's look at the verses around it. We always look at verse 2, but look at the verses around it. Verse 1, Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Who are they talking about there? Jesus, we already saw how they mocked him and they spit on him and they hit him. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel in the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from of ancient days. Therefore he, this one, shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. As the prophecy said, there's going to be this ruler coming from Bethlehem, there's something here, though, in verse 3. Therefore, this ruler that's to come is going to give up the Jews until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Don't miss this. In Matthew 24, Jesus is asked, when will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And he begins to lay out for them in Matthew 24 the tribulation period. Remember, in our study of Revelation, the first seal was opened and the Antichrist came. The second seal was opened and the red horse came and there was war. Then the next seal was opened and there was famine and then there was death. And what does Jesus say? He says, there's going to be Antichrist, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences. He's listing the seals, but don't miss this. He said, but the end is not yet. These are just the beginning of, listen, the birth pains. Not of birth pains, the birth pains. So when Jesus says these are the beginning of the birth pains, he's referring to a specific set of birth pains. He's referring to Micah chapter 5, verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. This is the tribulation period. Then at the end of the tribulation period, the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he's going to then stand and shepherd the, his flock in the strength of the Lord, and imagine the name of the Lord is God. Folks, we've had people for years saying, well, um, the earthquakes are increasing. That means that the birth pains are getting... No, the birth pains don't begin until the tribulation begins. The end of the tribulation period is the end of the, of the birth pains. And when Jesus says these are just the beginning of the birth pains, he's referring to birth pains he's already talked about right here. All right? Isaiah 9. I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 9 and then chapter 11, and we'll close. 
Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, just two verses, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Look closely what Scripture said all along. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Don't miss that, folks. The Old Testament even said that the Messiah was going to be God. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There is one more king coming after Zedekiah. There's been a big break and there's been no scepter in Israel, no stem in Israel for a long, long time, but there's one coming back. His name is Jesus. Go to verse, chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth for me, forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. Folks, all along the scriptures have been showing us that there is a one that was coming and he came to be the suffering servant and to die and to provide salvation but that same one, those same prophecies that we love to quote, Zechariah 9.9, Micah, Micah 5.2, those same prophecies tied into them were the fact that that individual is what? He's coming again. He's coming back. And he's going to fulfill the rest of the prophecies. And that day is coming very, very soon. The fact that Israel's back in the land does not mean that the prophecies about him regathering them are being fulfilled. No, the prophecies about him regathering at the end are at the end of the tribulation period. And you look at the prophecies, it's very clear. They come back and they believe in him from that time forth. They're at peace from there on. But the fact that Israel became a nation again in 1948 is awesome because that set the stage for the prophecies of the last days to begin because the Antichrist has to come into Israel, chase the Jews out of Israel. Well, they had to be back in Israel before all that stuff happened. But we are really, really close. And what's been interesting for me in this study is as we get focused on Ezekiel and all the stuff happening in Jerusalem back then, do you see the cycle that we've learned now happened again to them? Let's not miss out on what God's doing in our day because we're not willing to accept what his word says. Believe in who he really is, not who you've made him to be. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.